Blog Talk Radio. We are so excited to have you listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction Blog Talk Radio Show. Please call, text, or email family, business associates, or friends and tell them that we are on the air right now. Or they can join us on the internet by logging in to www.blogtalkradio.com slash NABWIC or by phone at 714-459-3918 and press 1 to join our conversation with questions or comments. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Don't forget to follow us by liking our page and post your questions or comments. NABWIC's intent is to always go into the high schools and colleges to encourage our young black girls and women to enter into the construction industry and to take interest into the STEM programs that are offered. We encourage you to listen to this show or past shows on the Internet by logging in at www.blogtalkradio.com slash N-A-B-W-I-C. Thank you, and we're back. Good morning. This is Ursula Odom, and I am CEO of Sula 2, and we make all new and every, everything we do, meaning that we will capture, preserve, and share your legacy information in any form necessary to get your word out about who you are and what you do. And this is NABWIC Speaks on Wednesday, and today I'm speaking with Tina Williams about disaster. And believe it or not, this is backed by popular demand because the last show we had, people were calling in and it was pre recorded to you all. So we are now live and you can, in fact, call in. And the number to call in will be 714-459-3918. So call and ask questions as you hear what we have to discuss today. Now, Tina is she is the uh, CEO of Williams Professional Water Restoration Service and provides remediation from water damage, fire and smoke damage, storm damage, odor control, mold, sewage, trauma scene, crime scene cleanup, and she's, she's serving residential as well as commercial property owners, and uh, her phone lines are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year. And what sets her apart from others is that she will go above and beyond to make sure that all of her clients' meet, needs are met. Professionalism is very important because your first impression makes all the difference in the world to your clients and everyone you meet. Tina Williams, welcome back, and welcome to NABWIC Speaks. Good morning, Tina. Thank you, Ursula. Good morning, Ursula. Good morning. Okay, so last time you were on the show, you started talking about all kinds of stuff that had me going. It's like, oh, my God, our homes, our our businesses may be disasters and, and in disguise. We have no idea that some of the things that are average and ordinary are lurking, waiting to cause havoc in our lives. So what we're going to do today is talk about some of the things that we talked about last time, but also allow you to, to speak about some things that we didn't get to. Um, so with that being said, give the audience a little bit of an introduction to what you do beyond the bio. 
All right. Uh, as Ursula mentioned, I am Tina Williams, owner of Williams Professional Water Restoration Service. I run a full-service water remediation company, and we do, as she stated, a cleanup from storms, water damage, fire, smoke, mold, odor, sewage, trauma scene, and crime scene cleanup. And I also, in addition to that, I try to educate clients or just everyday people on your rights and things that you can do with your insurance company. Some people don't realize that they have actual claims. They think if they see a little bit of water or a little bit of staining, that's okay, nothing is wrong, when actually that could be very harmful to your structure and to your health. So I like to educate about when you need to file a claim and what you need to do to correct your situation. So I am an educator of the industry so that you can live a better and healthier life and take care of your structure. So I just like helping people, and that's my main goal because we are put here on this earth to serve, and that is what I like to do. And I feel by educating consumers, I do that by letting them know what is available to them because a lot of people don't know that they have claims or they're able to do things about damage that they have in their home or some things that they don't even know. A lot of times when I walk in a place, I am immediately scoping to see if I see anything that looks suspect. And I have a little saying, if you suspect it, I can detect it. So that's a little bit about what I do. If you suspect it, I can. For What was that again? I... If you suspect I can detect it. All right. Okay. So now I tell you what that brings to mind is the part of the conversation we did not get to talk about a lot last time, and that's crime scenes, okay, the detective part of this. And I know this is not the average, and God forbid it's not the average and ordinary thing that people have to deal with. Some of us or some people out there I'm sure have, but for those of us that have not had to deal with that, it's it's a mystery. It's something that you see on television. And some of the things that you talked about were what you do to, to the actual physical location after a crime scene. Tell us about that. Well, what you do, that, that has to be, you know how they rope it off with the yellow tape? It's pretty much like that, but the yellow tape is not there. Everything is contained with thick uh, urethane polyplastic, six milliliters thick. All doorways and entryways are blocked off with do not enter signs. The only persons that can enter are personnel that are working with me. Uh, when they come in, they are in full hazmat suits. They are covered from head to toe, and they have masks. Anytime they step out of the contained area, if they need to go outside and get something, go outside, make a phone call, whatever, they have to disrobe, leave the contaminated uh, items inside the crime scene, and then step out into the clean environment. Before they enter back in, they have to get fully suited again in a brand-new suit, brand-new mask, and come back in because everything in that crime scene or trauma scene is 
a contaminant because you have no idea what is in the air. You don't know about the bloodborne pathogens. You don't know anything. So you have to protect yourself as well as protect the environment and the public. And that to me is amazing. And how we got into this conversation before was we were talking about thrift shops and and getting things that come from other locations because it's a great deal. And and I was a little bit alarmed that there was a possibility that that may end up in someone's home that we care about, including our own. Um, but then you shared that that's probably not a, a, a probability anyway. No, it's probably not because when you go to scenes such as those, even if it's an unexpected death like with the elderly, and uh, you don't see someone for a long time and you do a welfare check and they have expired, you know, in a chair, in the bed, in their sleep or whatever, and been there and maybe the body has decomposed, that too has to be uh, taken care of. So what is done in that case, everything is handled very differently. As we spoke about last time, when you go to the doctor's office and you see those orange bags with the biohazard sign on it, where they put the sharps on the wall, those are the type bags and boxes and containers that items from the home that are destroyed have to be put in. That way it is identified as a biohazard. Now, they are not taken to the average dump site. They are not taken to the dumpster. They are taken to a facility that incinerates them and gets rid of them because, as I mentioned before, you don't want to put it outside on the curb for the garbage man to pick up or you don't want to put it in a dumpster and then there's something infectious on it and then they touch it and they get sick or somebody sees it and thinks that's a great find. They're going to take it home and clean it up when, in fact, it has some infectious disease or some kind of bloodborne pathogen or something on it and they have no knowledge of it. So that stuff is disposed of properly or should be. If you ever have a situation like that and this doesn't happen, you're dealing with the wrong folk. Wow. Now, I, this is not politically speaks, but it does bring up a, a thought about politics in general. You know, we're always talking about funding and um, what is and is not funded. But when I hear you speaking about this, it just brings to mind that someone is protecting the public by putting these policies in place that we never even think about or even think to think about. So, you know, if we didn't have those kinds of people out there in in, in space or in time somewhere in government that are thinking about the public, this could be a, a disaster for us as individuals. And to know that you are out there taking care of this is, is comforting, quite frankly. Thank you. Yes, it could be because it needs to be done properly. And there are some people that like to take the shortcut and they want you to just, can you get the odor out? And, you know, say, for instance, if it was a, a landlord and you needed to re-rent the property, uh, I have been approached just to get the smell out and do just the minimum so that they could get the property ready for the next person. Uh, all money is not good money. And if I cannot do it properly, it will not be done. I will refuse to do it because not only that, 
I am concerned about the next individual coming in there, and then I need to protect my license. I worked hard to get where I am, and I will not jeopardize it for a few dollars or just to satisfy someone so that they can make a dollar on the next person. Not happening. Not on my watch. So what about construction sites or construction jobs or the construction industry? How do you work in that industry, given that this is NABWIC? Working in that industry, um, sometimes I have GCs that call me in when they run across uh, mold issues or water issues or things of that nature. And I joined NABWIC so that I could partner and build lasting relationships with some of my NABWIC brothers and sisters because I have things that I run across. For instance, I've got a project now that's a fire that I'm going to be cleaning up, and it needed a GC to put it back together. I cannot do that because I am not a general contractor. So I reached out to one of the NABWIC sisters to go take a look and give me a quote on that. So that was a relationship that I am building with that person so that going forward in the future, if there's something that I need, I know I can go to that person and we can work together and we both can benefit from that. And also I'm going to be going cleaning that way and lead-based paint removal. That way I can expand more into the construction industry field because a lot of your larger universities, and things of that nature in hospitals often have asbestos in it, being that buildings were built before 1976 in the state of Florida. So that is another realm, an aspect of the business that I am going to be going in in the very near future. Okay, now that brings up a, a question as it relates to historic buildings. Now, my business is preserving history and the legacies of of um, key people that that have been a, that are responsible for who we are and what we do today. And and some of those buildings have names of these people on them, and then you get attached to them, <laughs> attached to the building. So what what is the risk of his to historic buildings as it relates to asbestos and, and those kinds of things that you were talking about? There is a very high risk of asbestos, but there is testing that you can do to see what the levels are. There is a standard where it is a, it's safe, but there's also, if the levels are higher than the standard, then there's something that has to be done about it, and you have to treat that. Okay, so the building itself may not necessarily be at risk of destruction because asbestos is found, but there, I mean, there are remedies that are short of tearing the building down, I, I take it. Yes, yes, ma'am, there are. You don't have to destroy it because of that. And a lot of times if it's not disturbed, it's not stirred up. Okay, I'd just like to remind our listening audience, if you have a question, go ahead and raise your hand, I think by pressing 1, um, and you can ask the question direct yourself. I do see that we have several callers on the line, so here's your opportunity. Now, we also talked about water damage and mold. 
what are some of the risks as it relates to water damage and mold? And I, I specifically remember you talking about water running up the walls, and that that was um, visually, I could see that happening, you know, um, just from the way you described it. Right. Water goes into any porous surface. Concrete, you know, concrete has the little bitty holes in it that you cannot see. Water goes into any porous surface that it sees until it's stopped. When it's on the floor and you see it pooling and you come back and you're like, oh, that dried up. No, it didn't dry up. It just went into the porous surface. So once that happens, it needs to be professionally dried because if not, it will continue until it's stopped. Now, once it goes as far as it will go, it just sits there. And when it sits there, it's a breeding ground for mold. Mold starts to grow. You can't see it because it's in between the walls or it's on the floor, under the wood or under the laminate or the vinyl flooring, whatever you have. You can't see it. And then over a period of time, you start noticing little dots. They could be white. They could be green. They could be black. You don't know. You see little dots, so you pay that no mind. Maybe it's a little dust. You knock it off, go back. Then you start to see it get thicker and thicker. At this time, it's been there for a while, and it is growing from the inside out. can be very detrimental. So what you need to do is have it professionally treated. When you see that, you need to get it, make sure it's dry. Sometimes it is dry because it's been there so long. Sometimes it's not. If it's not dry, it needs to be dried out professionally. Then you need to have a mold test. That is where they come in, and if it's visible, they'll do a swab or a tape lift of that sample and send it to the lab. If it's not visible but you smell something funny or you may suspect that something is there, they can do an air sample to see if there's something in the air. Now, how they compare that, because we have everyday mold in the house. When you open your doors or open your windows, spores that are outside come in. So what they do is a control sample, and they'll do that for five minutes outside. And then when they come in and they test the suspected area, they run the machine. And when it goes to the lab, they come back and they compare the control sample to what they sampled in that room. That way they can eliminate all of the outdoor moles that may have gotten in from opening the door or opening the window to what is actually in the house. Uh, I had a client call me yesterday. Go ahead. Hold on, hold on one second. Hold that example because the phone's just lit up. We have several people that want to ask the question, so I'm going to open it up to the person that is 3828. Good morning. You have a question for Tina. Hello? 3828? Hello? Uh, yes. Good Go ahead with your question. Yes, can you hear me? Yes. Hello? Okay. Well, yes, yes we can is, hear you. Uh, Jackie. Jackie. Hi, Jackie. And 
Hi, I am so glad to uh, be listening again to uh, our guests. And uh, once again, I'm learning so much about that particular industry. But I did have a, a, call, a question, Ms. Ursula, and it has to do with given the type of work that um, you're doing, uh, Ms. Williams, I am just curious about the uh, type of employees that work in that particular industry. So could you just elaborate a little bit more on the uh, type of employees that um, I guess are recruited to work in that industry and what are some of the things that you do to manage or lead them so that they can be successful in what they do? Okay, the type of employees that I recruit are people that are willing to learn because you have to be certified and there are classes and schools that you must attend. You don't just attend and then you get a certificate. You are tested on your knowledge of what you learned. And then I go a step beyond by before I put them out on job sites by doing hands-on training inside the shop. So they don't hit the industry They do not go into homes until they are 100% ready, and I am comfortable with them. Uh, They are screened. Their backgrounds are checked, and I make sure that they have some type of background that relates to the industry, you know, where they are good with hand tools, so to speak, because a lot of times on taking up glued-down wood floors, I have to use jackhammers. So I need to know that they can properly use those machines because safety is number one. We have safety briefings in the mornings before we go out or at night before we go to wherever we need to go. There are safety briefings, and they have to be familiar with all the guidelines, all the chemicals, and everything that we use. So I screen people that are responsible and that are willing to learn and to stay current with the changing industry because this industry always changes and there's always something different going on. And I have to have the type of people that are willing to keep up and stay educated so that we can provide the best quality service to our clients that we possibly can. And I am always hands-on, and I lead by example. I don't do I don't ask them to do anything that I will not do. And I hope that answered your question, Jackie. It does. Thank you very much. So it sounds like um, a very um, uh, a group of employees that do have to take initiative and they're willing to invest in their growth and development. And, uh, and it gives, you have given me some insight into your leadership skill as well. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. Also, we have another caller on the line with the last number, 6680. Hey, can you hear me? Good morning. Yes, what's your question? Hi, how you doing? Hi, Tina, how are you? This is Celeste Bowman. Hi, Celeste. Good morning, Celeste. Good morning. Listen, so mine is along the same line as as what Jackie was, and I was wondering if you had apprenticeship um, programs that you kind of work with, maybe students or young girls or any kind of um, specific, um, you know, program that you do 
that can get young people involved in the in the work that you do? Celeste, I have not started that because I just got to Florida uh, in 2016. I put boots on the ground in February because I did not know anyone when I came to Florida. So I had to make myself known. Uh, That is part of my growth process. That is the next level of my destiny to start a program for young people. Uh, With NABWIC, we participate in Industry Day, and we went to Dillard High School in Fort Lauderdale, and I was able to talk to about four or five different groups of young individuals about going into this field, and I gave out my cards, and I have been talking to them because they were getting ready to go off to college, and so that is something that I am looking at starting, uh, a group like that to help young individuals so they will know that this opportunity is available because there are a lot of companies out there, but most of them are franchises. I'm not a franchise. I'm family-owned, and it's very lucrative, and it's very educational, and it's something that will always be around. And with the certifications that you're able to obtain, you can work international. They are global. They're not just facilitated to one state. They are international. You can go anywhere in the world and do it once you have the certifications and the license. Mm-hmm. Wow. Thank you. Well, thank and you. Do you have another thank question you. for her? No, she actually answered my question perfectly. I was, um, I guess the reason why I brought that up was because, you know, um, especially for females or women, they they have no idea that they can actually get into this field and and understand that this is something that would be so lucrative. So I appreciate, you know, all your work that you do and being a role model and being like a pioneer in the field for women. Thank you, Celeste. And thank and thank you for your question. Now, I have a question based on two things that you said, or actually two questions. One, when you talked about jackhammers, I want to know what in the world do you use a jackhammer for? And then the second thing, when you talked about being global, I didn't realize that there are such licenses that would allow you to work anywhere in the world. Um, no, I haven't, I mean, it's not that I find it, well, okay, I've never really thought about it. I had no need to think about it. So now that you've said it, I'm curious about how does that work? Uh, most of them are certifications. Some licenses transfer to different states, and you just have to find out if you want to go to that state, if your license are valid. If they're not, you can get foreign license that allow you to work for a certain period of time. For instance, uh, if I wanted to go to, let's say, for instance, my license didn't work in Texas, and I wanted to go work for the people that were affected by Hurricane Harvey, I would just reach out to that state and get a foreign license so that I would be able to operate in that state with the licenses that I had. Okay, so that all... Go ahead. No, I was just saying, okay, so that also works somewhat the same way when you're talking internationally as well, certain countries that we have reciprocal agreements with? Is that how that works? 
No, it's not necessarily reciprocal agreements. It's the school that you go to and the certifications that you get when you take these courses and you pass these tests, you get certifications. Uh, For instance, in the water restoration industry, it's IICRC, and the IICRC is international. You can work anywhere in the world with those certifications, but you have to look and see what else is needed in whatever part of the country that you're going to be working so that you can obtain those documents so that you can be working legally over there and not just over there in their territory trying to take over and do what you're not supposed to do. So I'm always in compliance with the rules of wherever I go. But that is international, and that allows you to work internationally. Hmm. Okay. So now back to the jackhammer. What are you using a jackhammer for? For To take up flooring. Sometimes. And, and that's – go ahead. Sometimes. When floors are put down, they put this super human strength glue and nails on them, and it is impossible to get them up with the crowbars and the hammers or the flooring pick. You can't move them. So you have to get something to get up under them and lift them up, and it's a jackhammer that's on a cart that you have to use. I just used it last week. Hmm. Wow. So... Talking about being in the industry, that's construction right there from the form of tearing something down or tearing something up. So, you know, we never think about disaster recovery when you're talking about, well, I guess I, I would if I think about it. When you're talking about mold, that's all building related. It's 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 floor to ceiling, I guess. Um, and you have to deal with the, the structure that, that's holding it. Yes, but I don't go in and demo anything. Demo is under the construction industry, so that would not be compliant with what I do. I just level it enough to get up under the floor to lift the plank so that we can get it up. But we don't do any, you know, knocking down walls or anything. We remove drywall, but as far as knocking it down, if it's going to do that, I'm going to get a... GC or an engineering because I am not tearing anybody's house down. So I want to make sure it's done properly. Now, based on your ability to answer questions <laughs> and know exactly what's right and what's wrong, how often do you have to go back for recertification or continuing education? Because you seem to be up on all the current rules. Well, Recertification should be done every year, and they have a program now where when you get past your first two years, you can be certified for two to three years at a time. But I am always, and I always keep up on the latest technology. If I see something that I'm not familiar with or something that they made a change on, I make sure that I'm front and center and I educate and get educated on what it is because I want to stay on top of my game in this industry. Because in Palm Beach County alone, at last count, there were 286 water restoration companies. And that was before Hurricane Irma. Okay. 
and I suspect because of the opportunity in the area. But also, if you don't know anything about it, you might think that it's it's an easy thing to do. But listening to you, no, you got a lot to learn. You um, do. It is. It's a lot to learn. Some people think they can do it themselves. They go on YouTube and, you know, how do you do this? How do you do that? That's fine and well, but there is a method to it. It's not just taking out the wall, putting a machine down, and walking away. There's something called a psychometric chart. You have to know how many grains per pound that you need to have. You need to know the relative humidity has to be a certain temperature. You need to know what temperature you need to keep that room. You don't want to make it too hot because then you can cause secondary damage. You got to make sure. You got to set your air movers in a certain direction to create the wind to go a certain way because what you're actually doing is creating something similar to a tornado. You will not see it, but it is going on when the air is moving through the room, and what it is doing is removing all the moisture out of the air. You don't see it, but it's happening. It goes through the dehumidifier, and we use 40-gallon trash cans so that clients can actually see the water that they have in their structure. And you would be surprised. They have no idea where the water comes from. And I like to show them, this is what was in your walls. This is what was on your floor. This is what was in your ceiling. But you don't know that. And you got to know how many cubic feet per minute that you can pull out based on the size of the room. You got to know how many square feet that dehumidifier will cover? Will it cover just this one room based on the size, or can I cover two rooms with it based on the size of the area? There's a lot that goes into it. It's not just putting a machine in and knocking this out and doing that. It is a method to the madness. Okay, so here's something that just puzzles me now. You're talking about dehumidifying something, or a home or a business or what have you. And then on the other side of that, there's health concerns where people need humidifiers. Um, do you see complications as it relates to those apparently opposite needs to dehumidify a house and then to humidify it for health reasons? No. No, that's completely different. The commercial dehumidifiers do a whole different function than the, the humidifier for breathing purposes. It, it's it's two different entities. Well, what I'm what I what I'm trying to get at for a layperson to understand is when you say you're pulling the moisture out of the out of the um, air or out of the home or out of the structure. If a person, I mean, that's a one-time thing, yes, but if a person needs to have a humidifier ongoing, my understanding is that that's putting moisture in the air. So would that person be more or that home be more susceptible to having mold problems or or problems of any nature because they're putting moisture in the air? No, because that's a normal amount. That's a normal amount. I'm okay. talking about moisture. I'm talking about a rush of water that has wicked up the walls. That's not that the dehumidifier humidifiers that you're talking about for breathing and for them on a daily basis. That's not that's not an issue. Okay. All right. Okay. So um, now, as far as the 
industry is concerned, you were talking about state when you see something new. What's the most fascinating thing that is on the horizon right now or that you've just learned that the average person may not be aware of? What's 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 the industry doing right now? The industry is not doing a lot right now. The only thing the industry is doing is trying to keep the consumer protected because the insurance companies right now are leaning towards the right to repair, which basically when you get an insurance policy, let's say you wanted Mr. Smith to come over and do something for you because Mr. Smith has is licensed and bonded and Mr. Smith has been doing this for you and your family for years. Well, they're trying to get to the point now where they have what they call right to repair. And that's where they send the people that work for them. They have preferred vendors that come under them, and they want to send them out to do the work rather than you having a choice of who you use. Because a lot of consumers, it's your home. You want to make sure you get the best service to do the best possible job. And a lot of times you have to shop around to see and get a feel for who you want to use in your home, your business, your industrial property, whatever. Well, they're trying to take that right away and say, hey, if you got insurance with ABC Insurance, you can only use ABC Insurance's vendors. If you do not use ABC's insurance vendors, you run the risk of getting your claim denied, and we don't have to pay you. So we're fighting very hard in the industry to keep the consumer having a right to choose who they use to protect their investment that they have invested their money in. Ooh, oh, my goodness. Now, that sounds like you probably could speak on that alone on the Saturday program for Politically Speaking because that affects the entire industry. Um, It does. Okay. Okay, so what are some other things that maybe I haven't asked you about that that you'd like to share? Well, I pretty much covered everything. Okay. Don't, All right. Just don't be afraid if you see something, the brown staining on the walls in the ceiling. Be concerned about that, even though the stain may be small. It could be an AC leak. It could be a roof leak that you don't know that you had. And even though it's brown and you think it's old, mold could be up there growing. And then you hmm. start to get sick start to have symptoms, and most of the symptoms, the common symptoms, are stuffy head, headache, sneezing, itchy eyes, runny nose, and you think you're coming down with a cold. But when you leave that uh, area that's affected, you don't feel like that. But when you come back in it, you start feeling like that. That's a sign that something is not right, and you need to get it checked out. You know, what we haven't talked about, is smoke, um, and well, you touched on odor, but what about when somebody has smoked constantly in a home? What do, now, do you do anything with that? Yes, there's a special way to clean that, and then you can take the odor out of the air. But that's with 
special chemicals, and that has to be treated about three to four times in the same cycle while you're there in order to do that. And there are different kinds of smoke, and it and it and it's 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 all based. It's um, dry. It's different types, and so you have to know what you're dealing with in order to treat it and remove it properly. Uh, I get a lot of well, calls from property is, owners from ten. Go ahead. Well, you're probably going to answer it now, but um, I was specifically talking about you know walking into somebody's home and realizing that they smoke inside, and that. You you can literally look around and see the evidence of it. That is a kind of um, smoker's home, is what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. I know what you're talking about. Where when when they get ready to move and they take the pictures off the wall and you still see the frame up there because the smoke has outlined the frame. <laughs> yes, I know okay. exactly. I I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, that that's. That's pretty simple to remove. It just takes a little work. It takes about, mm, depending on how much smoke is in there and how long they've been in there, you may can get it out within an eight-hour day. Oh, and wow. guarantee okay. that it's not. Yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not very difficult. Mm, okay. All right. So again, I I am thrilled at the conversation that we've had. And to be perfectly honest, when I got on, I said, well, we'll we'll be able to talk about anything different. But this show is almost totally different from the last one and obviously needed because new information, wonderful information. So thank you again. You're very welcome, Ursula. All right. To my listening audience, this has been another Wednesday conversation and today with Tina Williams all about disaster and disaster recovery. So Tina, why don't you give them your information so that they can contact you and then we will call it a day. All right. For the listening audience, you can reach me 365 days a year, seven days a week, 24 hours a day. My telephone number is 866 Four nine one four three two four. That's eight six six four nine one four three two four. When you dial that, press option two, and you will be connected directly to me. If you would like to reach me by email, you can reach me at w for William, P for Peter, W for William, R for Robert, S. Sam, 1965 at gmail.com. And again, those initials are just the initials for William's Professional Water Restoration Service. It's W as in William, P as in Peter, W as in William, R as in Robert, S as in Sam, one nine six five at gmail dot com, and I will be happy to answer any questions that you may have, and my inspections are always free, and I charge the insurance company directly, so there's never a cost to my client unless you want to pay out of pocket. And at that time, we agree on a fair amount. All right. You have heard it. So, again, 
see you next week on Wednesday show at 8.30 a.m. And it promises to be another wonderful show because, quite frankly, when Navwick speaks, we speak with expertise. And you have heard an expert today. Take care. This concludes our show. Thank you for listening to NABWIC, the National Association of Black Women in Construction. For more information about NABWIC and our membership, please visit us on the web at www.nabwic.org. We are the voice of black women in construction. Have a great and prosperous day.